This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of one of our most loved sports stars. And we've brought the couch on the road today. We're in Wigan. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and that means I work with elite sportsmen and women who are struggling or have struggled to come to terms with the pressures of being a professional sports person. I'm doing the project to widen the understanding of mental health in sport and beyond and give a better understanding of what goes on between the therapist, me, and the player who today is on the sporting couch. Meet Colin Hendry, one-time Scotland's captain and central defender, nicknamed Braveheart for his uncompromising style and commitment. He led the Scottish national team into many a scrape, including Euro 96 and France 98. Yet his brave heart was broken when he lost his wife Denise, aged just 43, back in 2010, after she developed complications after cosmetic surgery. Colin's life unravelled and he suffered from depression and fell victim to addictive behaviours like gambling and alcohol. But in recent years he's fought his way back to full physical and mental health and is now donning the famous navy jersey of Scotland again, playing in the Scottish Legends team. Meet a legend of the Scottish and English football game, Colin Henry, who said to me recently, in life, I'm trying to get away with an ugly 1-0 win. Colin, great to see you. Um, What do you mean by an ugly 1-0 win? And why is that how you perhaps perceive life I had, a, I had a quite a lot of success in my career um, and a lot of the times in order to obtain winning something within that season you've got to you've got to play games where you're going to win one nil and win ugly and a lot of the time that was the games that I enjoyed the most because we were quite busy as a defensive unit or as a team where our work cut out but still managed to to win the game 1-0. And sometimes we did win 3 or 4-1, and whether it was at Blackburn with Alan Shearer scoring the goals or whether it was at Rangers. But do you think that that philosophy has been taken off the pitch in your your personal life? You just have to get through this. Oh, no, no, I think... Oh, yeah, I see where you're coming from there, Gary. No, um, that's not like my life as such, but that's what gives me the most satisfaction as a player. Because because it's that close to the opposition nearly nicking something off you and it must be harder for them to think, we only get beat 1-0. Well, yeah, but 1-0's the same as 4-1 or 3-1 or 3-0. So, but from a defender's point of view, you're thinking, we did our job. As long as it's nil. Are you the happiest you've ever been in your life now, Colin? Um, well, you could split my life into, I don't know, several parts. Um 
I'm certainly very happy with, with how I am at the moment. Well, I've got a lovely partner, um, and we do we do most things together. Um, we did initially do the thing that most partners do, um, share Facebook statuses and etc. and stuff like that. And Jill isn't a big fan of um, social media anyway, and so we're not even friends on any of the social media. So, and we keep our our, our lives pretty private now, um, and that's been the way because. We've managed to get on with our lives and enjoy ourselves. You're a very identifiable personality, physically, um, in terms of your character, larger-than-life character. You're a commentator's dream. You know, nobody can miss Colin Andrew when you were playing. Shock of blonde hair. Um, how did that affect you, that everyone can recognise you so obviously? Well, you had to learn to deal with that pretty quick. I mean, um, one thing is, Gary, if you, if you made a mistake... Everybody knew who it was, um, and that was, you know, as that's so. As, so going into the game itself, defenders always get gauged by the mistakes they made. Strikers would get gauged by how many goals they score or how many attempts they had on target. So it's all very glorious for a striker, but for a defender to be gauged as to how many mistakes you make is a bit of a. But you had learned, I learned that. I learned with that, and I was quite happy with that. And that goes back to the the result one nil. If you, if it's nil. If it's nil, then I'm happy. We're happy with that. It creates a mindset, if you don't mind me saying so, of let's just keep it as it is. I mean, in, yes. in, in life, that's that's been a story of your life. Let's just try and batten down the hatches and go through this bloody awful storm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, what I had to go through, I, I, I went through it. Um, deal, with, deal with it. There's no handbook, but you deal with it in the best possible way you think's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, you bring the children up, the children lose a mother at 10 and 11 and 19 and 17. But as I say, there's no real handbook, so you get loads of help from people around you. I did have that. And you just hope things take the right course after that. Let's take you back to your very early days and growing up in Keith, whiskey distillery country. Yeah. Um, did you have a happy childhood with your mum and dad? Yeah, great childhood. We were, we were, me and my brother and my sister, my sister's older, Lynn, my younger brother, Graham. Um, we, had, we had, yeah, mum and dad did everything for us, really. My father was very hardworking. I mean, he had, he had three jobs plus a uh, confectioner's, fruiterer's shop that he attended in the evenings to restock, but he was a postman and a driving instructor, and he was also a community councillor for the, for, for locally. And you very close to your dad, weren't you? Very close, yeah. Yeah, very close, yeah. What did he instil in you? What What do you hold of him now today about who he was and the values that he held? Uh, hard work. Hard work, graft, because I often said that I didn't think... Um, I wasn't a Bobby Moore. I've often said that to a lot. I wasn't a Bobby Moore, but I worked really, really hard to give myself every opportunity whilst I had the chance, which was an incredible chance, to become a professional footballer. Um, How instrumental was Dad in making that happen, Colin? He took me everywhere. He did everything for me. I played at Dundee on a Thursday night for the reserves and he would attend the games from Keith, which then days would have been two, two, two and a half, three-hour drive. So if he had driven down instead of doing the work he was doing at home to see the game at 7 o'clock and I'd played the reserves but, and I'd attend training the day after... He wouldn't get in until 2 o'clock in the morning. But then he was up at 5 o'clock to start his work at 6 as a postman. Did you appreciate the time and effort he put yeah. into Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And, I mean, I was quite lucky to have won the premiership with, with, with Blackburn, won the treble with Rangers and captain my country as well as. And, you know, these are things that when my dad passed that I was delighted that he was proud and that I'd given something back to, to mum and dad sort of thing. Did he tell you how proud he was of you? Yeah. Oh, I always did, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like you were much closer to, to Dad than perhaps your mum and. Well, well my mum, my Dad's the king. <laughs> That's Dad is king and I'm mum. So anything has got to go through Dad sort of thing. And I, I think that's just the relationship, relationship that they had. So it was a very strong patriarchal house? Yes, absolutely. Is When we've talked to other professional sports people on this programme... They've often said, I just wonder what it was like for my brothers and sisters when all the attention 
was heading in my direction, when mum and dad had to take me to the swimming pool, when mum and dad were taking me to that gymnastics event or travelling a long distance to take me to football training. Did you ever have a sense of envy from either Graham or Lynn that mum and dad were channelling a lot of their attention on you? None at all. Absolutely none at and all. And that in itself and is remarkable. It, well, yeah, because it's now happened with my children. I mean, my son Callum scored two goals yesterday for St Johnson Reserves. And there's a, in the WhatsApp group between the, 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 the five of us, they're like jumping for joy. They're so delighted. And so there, he's on the map as a, having an opportunity of becoming a professional footballer. He's at St Johnston, signed a two year contract beginning of the season. And they're just like how. And I feel like how my dad must have felt when, exactly. I, when I played. I was about to pick that up because you're almost mirroring the pride yeah, yeah, exactly. that your dad had in you for you mm. to have for your son. Mm. Is, is that fair? Yeah, very much so. So how did you end up um, playing for Keith in, in the local team um, and then somebody called uh, Bobby Wilson? Bobby Wilson, yeah. He was a man. He was a catalyst, really. Bobby, Bobby took me, for example, a, a weekend for me was school team on a Saturday morning, Isla Vale, the junior team, which was open age, you know, adults, everything, on a Saturday afternoon. Then a Sunday afternoon at the Keith Youth Team. And the shocking so thing the... is about... Sorry to jumping in, Colin. The shocking thing is that I didn't realise is nobody really knew whether you were a centre-half or a centre-forward. Well, I was, I was playing up front at the time. But then I got to, I got to Dundee... And by the time I got to Dundee, then there was difference of opinion whether I could be a striker at the highest level or would it be better going back as a central defender. Why couldn't you play as a striker at the highest level? Because I didn't have enough pace, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I caught, apparently, I didn't have enough pace. Um, but pace doesn't stick the ball in the net, does it? So that was my argument, but I'm quite happy the way it's turned out, to be fair. I wouldn't complain. Now, you joined Dundee... But you did have a chance to join Motherwell. Yes. And you decide to join Dundee because of the extra travelling it would have entailed mm. uh, going to Motherwell. I just wonder whether that says a lot about your closeness with your family. Yeah, most definitely. Did Mum and Dad find it difficult that you were moving away and obviously chasing your career now into Dundee and then eventually on to Blackburn? Well, no, I think when, when I got to Dundee and it was... A bit of stalemate, I think. I got there in 83, and by the time 87 came round, I'd, I'd done three years plus, and... They weren't sure, were they? They weren't sure you were going to make it? No, Dundee were either... They were thinking of selling me to either East Fife or just releasing me completely, I think. Um, Did you think you were good enough? At that time, Gary, I wasn't sure because I hadn't played at the level long enough. For me, I didn't think, and it's difficult for any manager. It's difficult. I've managed myself, and you think you can't play a, a kid or you can't play somebody like that continually if something if it doesn't work, because you need. To, it's all about obtaining results as a manager, and he's only one little unit of the mm. whole, the bigger picture sort of thing. So that wouldn't have taken. They wouldn't have taken that into consideration about me. But then they said, "Listen, we've got twenty five grand on the table from Blackburn." It's up to you if you want to go. You can stay here, stay here if you want, but if you want, if you want to go, you can go. You see, many footballers I talk to have an absolutely cast iron belief that they're good enough to play yeah. professional football at the highest level, but that's not what I'm hearing from you. No, it was. I played one game. We prevented Hearts winning the league. Dundee beat them two 0 Albert Kidd came off the bench. I played at the back with Jim Duffy. Uh, Celtic had to win by four clear goals. I think at, at Paisley against St Mun. They won five. 5-0. Celtic won the league. Hearts hadn't been undefeated, I think, for 27, 28 games. If they'd beat us, they won the league that day. And, of course, they've never, they've never had that opportunity since. But that was the day I walked away with a case of White and Mackay whiskey <laughs> back to my digs because I was man the match. So that was the one time that I thought I'd actually got to a stage where, yeah, you're capable. You are capable. This is On the Sporting Couch on Talk Sport with Samaritans. Joining me today, former Scotland captain Colin Hendry. Colin West was playing against me, who went on to play for West Brom. And I was quite at ease, doing well. Then just after half-time I got dragged off 
was in the dugout and I'd said, why, why are you taking me off for? And he just said, the manager's in the office, in the changing room, you need to go and see him. So I trudged into the changing room and Jockey Scott's there and he just said, listen, Blackburn Rovers have agreed a £25,000 fee with, with us. We're not kicking you out the door, but it's up to you if you want to go or not. What was your reaction? Did he say, I don't want to leave home, I don't want to leave Scotland? Or, no. or did he just jump at the chance? Yeah. No, right away, I thought, yeah, England, let's go and have a go. Let's go and have a right good go at this. And, of course, we were getting married, me and Denise, that summer. Um, so I was still in my kit, and I, I just walked out the dressing room, <laughs> into the lounge. Denise is there, and she's like, what's going on? And I said, listen, we've agreed a fee. We're going to Blackburn. I'm not sure where Blackburn is exactly. <laughs> but... Um, but I've got to speak to the secretary, John Howarth, then then John Howarth at Blackburn, and I was on the train the day after down to Blackburn, and then on the Wednesday night we beat uh, beat Ipswich in the full members' cup semi final, which took us to Wembley. That was yeah. one of your first appearances. But, well, at, yeah, at uh, Wembley. Don Mackay was brilliant because I didn't arrive until the the Tuesday evening, and then of course the players aren't in on the Wednesday with the, the game being at night, so I meets the guy I'm playing with, David Mayo. And uh, Dave, uh, he, was, uh, he was from Bristol area. And then after the game, keep a clean sheet. And Don Mackay says, he says, uh, so call, how do you say? Yeah, it's fine. He said, Mail, he said, yeah. David Mail said, yeah, it's fine. He said, just can't understand the word he says. <laughs> and, that was, and that was three weeks later, of course, we're at Wembley. And you score? Scored a winning goal in the cup final at Wembley for a Scotsman. Unheard of. This is a tough question. Did it go to your head? I don't think it did. Because I was able to create a good career out of it. I think I think if, if it had gone to my head, I just think I would have done more. I would have done stupid things. I might have done some things that were stupid. But come on, but Colin, you're, you're playing you're playing in the Scottish League, and within a couple of months, you've moved to Blackburn and you're scoring a winning goal at Wembley. Yeah, it would turn virtually any young man's head. So my next question to you is: What stopped it turning your head? Just the. Uh... The love of the game and just for me, just to be successful. Because playing for... Then, that then, we were struggling. We did survive in that division, Blackburn, because that was one of the reasons. And then the following two seasons, we made the playoffs sort of thing with Don. And it was... I'm more interested in what, what was going on for you internally, because this is a huge step up for you. Yeah. For you. And I can't believe that suddenly... Like, out of nowhere, I'm not affected by it. There's extra money coming into my bank account. There's a different place to live. The the, the relationship with your wife-to-be takes a different mood. This changes gear. Mm -hmm. It must have altered you. There's too many things altering in your life, not well, to alter you. Well, if it did, it altered me for the better because I was able to still follow the path that I wanted to follow and, and become a successful footballer. Is that because of your dad? Did your dad... I think, I think it's to do with where I come from. Because I was a deep type of person, and when I went to Dundee, you've got all the Glasgow lads coming in, the Edinburgh lads coming in. Nightclub in here, nightclub in here, doing a bit here, doing a bit there. That wasn't me. What do you mean by deep? By just keeping myself to myself. Colin would, never, Colin would never have a lot to say at that time. At that, And even now, a lot of people say, you're a quiet, you're a quiet big man, are you? I said, well, I just like to keep quiet. I said, if, if it's not worth saying, I won't say it. Were you happy in that first spell at Blackman? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed myself. Really enjoyed myself. And um, people or clubs make noises about he could play in the top league in, in, in Division 1. That then pricks your ears up and you think to yourself, am I capable, am I good enough? Because in Division 2 at the time, didn't, as I said, didn't make it through the playoffs in the two times. Um, I thought, yeah, that's something that I'm going to chase. Not moving from Blackburn, but chasing myself to get into the top division, see how I can really cope. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So when international honours start knocking on the door and you move up again, because this is almost like an elevator ride, it looks like to me, you know, from Keith to then to Dundee and then to, to Blackburn and then mm. all of a sudden you, you're looking at international recognition. Again, how did you cope with that, that the, the fact that people were rating you as a player but you're a very identifiable individual physically? Well, yeah... Um... I had the two years at I left Blackburn in '89, went to Man City, and a lot of people said when I came back from Man City, I was a more polished defender than what I was before I left. Probably because at, at times, the first stop, the first time I was at Blackburn, I'd played up front a few times, but then eventually settled into the centre half position. I learned quite a lot under Howard Kendall at Man City. Then when I joined, rejoined Blackburn, I, I learned a lot again through Ray Harford. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I was 27 when I had my first cap for Scotland. Um, never say never is, is, you know, and just a proud moment again for me. I've spoken to somebody, someone from the coaching staff at Blackburn and they said very single-minded and at times a touch arrogant with it. Right. Is that fair? Well, I think anybody that's... I think the arrogance grows. Mm-hmm the more successful you are and yeah I can see that um, didn't, would, take, would, didn't take fools lightly you know no 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 I mean someone's, someone has to be said someone has to be said and uh, I mean I've captained so many clubs and so many teams and I think you've got to have that little bit of arrogance about you in order to to be that to be a captain and thank you for sharing that with us that's a really important thing that you recognise in yourself because the yeah. next question I'm going to ask you is did that give you the qualities to be a leader? Because I, I see you as a leader, I see you as a captain, you're an obvious choice as a captain. I'm wondering what qualities you think you have, Colin, that make you an automatic leader or captain of a football team? Probably because I would say to any players that I'm playing with, to um, you need you, well, I learned from a, a good captain as well as Gary McAllister, because Gary would, wouldn't ask anyone to do anything that he couldn't do himself. And I think that's that's an important part of being a captain. Um, you're not always going to make the right decisions, but you need to put your your body in the line, and 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 that's in, in football in terms. So you have this glittering career, fantastic career. Win the Premiership with Blackburn in '95. Go to the Euros in '96 with um, with Scotland, and Gaza flips flips the ball yeah. over your head and scores a very famous goal. Captain Scotland at the 98 World Cup, you play Brazil, you play... You know, it's a glittering, glittering career, more than you could have ever have wished for, I'm sure, when you played for Keith. Absolutely. And then personal tragedy strikes, whether your wife going to having surgery, cosmetic surgery, and it goes wrong. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind then? I thought she was dying when she was going to die there and then, when it happened initially. I thought um, because the things went from bad to worse within days. And she walked into that hospital on the Wednesday and by 
Saturday stroke Sunday, we were told she had a 7-8% chance of survival. So we had to get the family, everybody to the bedside. What did that do to you? Well, you're in a you're in a a bubble, really, Gary. That you're just because you, you've got the, you've got the children as well as, but you're thinking, how is it how is it actually possible to go from Wednesday to Sunday, and be in this position? And of course, what happened to her? Because the surgeon Annie Anson was so reckless in the in the cosmetic surgery, he punctured her bowel eight times, and without us seeing it, and it was all internal. The whole contents of the bell was in and around her whole body and, you know, even she was just poisoned, blood poisoning. And it, was, it wasn't until they'd operated or a really big operation on the Saturday stroke Sunday that the, the surgeon and the doctors around realised that this, this could be a long-drawn one, but at least she's hanging on, she's hanging in sort of thing. And it was six weeks plus, I think, before she came off the life support. And you just hold your whole your whole life goes on hold because, as I say, one minute everything's okay, um, and we and, and we realised and she realised the risks of having an operation, mm. um, because I'd been operated so many times, I'd had so many operations in my in my career, and the first thing the doctor surgeon would say, well, you do realise, you know, with anaesthetic and anaesthesia, how complications can arise just from that, and that's only a six eight percent chance. But you're always told that before you go into, in, into an operation. Going through that, knowing that your <clears throat> partner was in mortal danger, yeah. how on earth did you cope with that? I don't know, if I'm being really honest. Um, if you're asking me how, I just... that was just. Did you pray to God? Did you, did no. you talk to mum no, and dad? No. Well, yeah, you'd, you, would, you would do... Did you pray? No, no. No, I'm, no I've, I've got different beliefs about stuff like that, but I'm just... I just thought if it's gonna, she has to pull through. She has to pull through. She's got to pull through. And I think it was only because of her age, because the doctors had said at the time, and how she was a slight build. She was only five foot. That she came through what she came through at that period in time. And after about seven, eight months, she was ninety-five, ninety percent better. And then eventually she came back home, and then we went back to a normal life sort of thing. But she still had the the little wound. And then after that, of course, by 2007, she had to have another operation um, to take away anything that was in there from the, the five years, or the, the, yeah, from the five years earlier. Um, because... Did you think so you were out the woods at that stage? Do you think, actually, everything's gone back to normal, everything's fine, well, or they, did you always know? They did, they did warn us about the material that was used, might have had a lifespan of five years, mm. so we might have to do something down the line. But let, let's... Let's get Denise's body back to a stage where it's back to something where it was before. I'm just wondering what your state of mind was, because this was uh, a decision by Denise to have this this cosmetic surgery. It was her choice. Do you look back now on that decision and think, why didn't I step in? Why didn't I say something? Why didn't I stop her doing something that, that carried a risk? Well, she went to that. She said we spoke about it. And she wasn't a gym goer, and she'd had four children, and she just said, listen, it was a bit of an in thing as well as with a lot of different partners and wives and stuff. And I said, listen, if you, if you, if you want to go for that, you go for it. Um, but in retrospect now, Colin, do you ever think, I wish I'd have been, I'd have, I'd have said... Well, in retrospect now, if I'd, I wouldn't have had the surgeon that we had, that's for sure. But if Jill, your present difficult. partners, turned around to you and say, Colin, I'd like no. to... I'd say no. Did you ever think to yourself, I wish it had been me? Well, yeah, I've often said to myself that for me to walk out the door and Denise to walk in the other door and that's it, then that would be great for my children. That would be great for them. How did they cope with Mum being seriously ill? Remarkably well. I think even to this day, you know, they've all suffered in certain ways, the four of them, the two boys, two girls. Um, And just going back to Callum... Callum loses his mum when he's 11, then he does his ACL at 15 in the playground and then he wants to be a footballer and he does an ACL again at 17 when he was out on loan and he's, st- he's still made the level. He's still to sustain the level and become a, a footballer, but he's there, he's got his, every opportunity. So, But I wonder whether he's made it as a professional footballer because of what happened to mum, to prove something, to make sure that his life is something very valuable to him oh, because listen, he owes it to his mum. Yeah, he, yeah he, he'll... he'll 
he knows the pride that his mother and myself was going to mm. take. You know, um, there's no doubt about that, and that that it, that helps him on, I think. So, in the last weeks before Denise dies, you're constantly at her bedside, making a long, long journey to be there. What was that like? Three months it lasted, um, and I think it was two weeks before the end, before the, I I got the idea, and it was more or less confirmed by the doctors that things aren't looking very, very good. Um, and then after that, people are coming and going and until the very day the machine was switched off. Whose decision was that? It was a family decision, with the exception of the two wee ones who were 9 and 11, because that's what three doctors, at, the three surgeons came to us at to Salford Hospital. They said, listen, it's, we've gone as far as we can now. I can't ever imagine the pain and suffering that somebody would go through to have to make that decision to switch off a life support machine. Mm. How on earth do you even get through that? Well, because you've got children, you've responsibilities, you are the head of the family. Um, you've got to think of things in the future as well as. That all comes into play right away. Did you ever think, I can't cope with this pain any longer, it has to come to an end, I can't continue like this? Well, with Denise's passing, you've got to you've got to make sure the children are okay. Forget forget about me. It wasn't about me. It was about the, the, the kids, mm. and, the, and that was a, that was the most important thing. And I think I said to you, Gary that the first thing that happened after that, about an hour after, I got brought in by three nurses and they said, "Listen, do you need counselling?" Because I said, "No, I'll be the counsellor for my family." Possibly, maybe one of the two of the children might have needed a bit of counselling, might have benefited them. But I've done what I've done. I thought it was the right decision. I made the right decisions. Um, but I'm wondering whether the nurses actually were asking you whether you needed counselling. Yeah, that's what they did. They did. And the most remarkable thing, I think, about the whole of your story, Colin, when I look back at the, your career and everything that's happened to you, the thing that is the wow thing for me is that he's never sought help in terms of psychological support. No. Why? Because I, th I think and wanted to do it my way, right, wrong, or indifferently. You know, I mean, I'm still here. I'm still fit. The kids are growing up. They're all healthy. But without, yeah, they miss, yeah, they missed their mother, but we, could, we couldn't. Do it. I, nothing could be done about bringing her back. You know. But within the last few weeks of um, of Denise's life, things begin to unravel for you, and things become very difficult. There's yeah. there's gambling issues. There's financial issues. There's drinking issues. Don't you think those have been exacerbated by what you've been through and might have been offset by counselling or therapy? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. The, the, thing, the thing about the two years leading up to prior Denise having the, the operation in 2000... Well, the, the operation 2007, from 2007 to 2009, I was a carer. So my day wasn't... A stereotypical day for anywhere else. You get up, go to work, finish at five, come home, dinner, and that. I was up at maybe six in the morning or three in the morning because I looked after a, a leostomy. So every time she got, she had a drink or she tried to eat, there was something coming in the bag within six or seven minutes. If that bag was to burst, it's at half an hour, forty minutes to change the bag because it's a, it's not a nice procedure. But I didn't mind getting my hands dirty. But what I wasn't going to get involved with. Uh, uh, with Gary, was the cross-infection side of it because she got fed intravenous on the total parental nutrition, which is a TPN. So orally, it was for the psychological side, the drinks and the food and everything else. But very rarely could you go out and have a normal life. Well, you did, we didn't have a normal life because I was her carer and I did, the, I did the... I can't swear on radio, but I did the... Nasty stuff. Nasty side. Mm. But that's... And, that was, um, and that's enormously to your credit... But I think there was, if I look at it as a therapist, there was a flip side to this. This caused you internal anguish, which results in you picking up addictive behaviours which didn't do you any favours. No, I think the drinking. I mean, I was drinking quite a bit in that two years. I'm sure. Um, but then for the three months that she was ill between the operation in April and to, to, the, to the July, I didn't drink at all because we were travelling to Salford every day. And the gambling? 
started before that, um, something maybe to take your mind off things. And do you think any of those things would have happened had Denise lived? Yeah, no, yeah, I still think that, that would have. If Denise was alive, it would have still happened. You still think you'd have had gambling? Yeah, and well, I wouldn't have had gambling and drinking issues, but because Denise would have said, "Right, you're not spending any more money, and you're not going to the pub anymore," but um, she would have kept an eye on you and said, "Oh, yeah, enough. yeah, that was it. That, yeah, yeah, yeah." But that wasn't. I mean, that's not the whole reason, anyway. That I, de- I was declared bankrupt the year after Denise died in 2010. That was to do with which a lot of footballers these days or ex-footballers these days have gotten involved with, involved with um, the film tax deferral schemes that's there, and it's 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 a crazy situation. But there's so many different people from me really who are involved in that and are still waiting to be told how it's gonna how it's gonna pan out because you've got the lenders, you've got the the FSAs, the, you've got HMRC, you've got the government. Are you saying to me I'd have still been an, alco- an alcoholic, I'd have still had drinking issues, I would have still have had well, gambling I, I issues, was, I'd have still have had financial issues? Are you no, saying- I, wasn't, I wasn't. I've never been an alcoholic because um, what I did was I'd have a few beers in the pub on an afternoon when maybe Denise was resting mm. and then the kids would come back from school and we'd all join in because Denise's parents were living with us as well for a long mm. period of the two years prior to 2009. So I was never an alcoholic um, and I didn't lose everything because I was ga- a gambler. But that's things that I did as things that I enjoyed and I was able to enjoy and do. I still love a, love a drink now, still love a drink, but I didn't. I wasn't doing keep fit. I wasn't keeping looking mm. after my body then. I'm doing all that now. Um, I think with addictive behaviours, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. One is, do you control it or does it control you? And I get the impression that back then it controlled you a bit. Today, you control it. Yeah. Is yes. that fair? Well, yeah, yes, I would say so. I think it was my little bit of get-out in, in the past. That was something that I thought... Because it was a full-on... as a kid, And this is what I've said many, many times to any Q&As I do or, or after dinner speak, whatever, to be a carer, my heart goes out to that said person because your whole life goes on, on hold for the person you're looking after. You don't have a life. And for me whilst I was doing that for Denise and I was her carer, all right, have a few beers, all right, put a bet on. Watch a game of footy, put a bet on. That's classically how addictions begin, because the the individual is under such pressure, under such strain, such difficulty, that they want something as a release for that, Colin. If you're you're telling me that, Gary, then I understand that, but I think that's... That would be the same for the majority of people in the world at this, this day and age. So I'm not any different from anybody else. But throughout what you're saying to me there just now, then I, I agree with you. And I personally think that if... They said, remember, this, there's going to be lots and lots of people listening to this programme. Mm-hmm. They will might be in very difficult situations themselves and they might be tempted to go down the booze or they might be tempted to put a get bat, bet on to offset all the rubbish that they're going through in the present time. I personally believe that for many people, having therapy or somebody to talk to or the role of what a priest used to be would perhaps give them a a grounding that would stop that stuff going down a certain path. Because in the midst of it all, this terrible time, there's two things that get kicked away from you, Colin. One, your dad dies, and you are very, very close to your dad. Yeah. And then Denise dies, and both those deaths happen within two years of each other. Yeah. My father was a phone call every night. That's how I kept. But then, because he had throat cancer and he died because of lung cancer in the end, he couldn't speak. So I lost that communication. And it was the early days, well, the internet was big, so the email, it was emails or text messages. So that communication I lost completely. For, for listening to each other and talking to each other. Because you can say a lot more in a minute than what you can text or email in five minutes, sort of thing. Um, and for Denise, well, yes, I did grieve. I grieved and, you know, I had the kids grieving with me at the same time and her parents, were, they still live with us for a matter of months after Denise had passed away. And then I ended up um, getting back into the media, getting myself together a, a little bit and kicking on from there. 
You're listening to On the Sporting Couch with Samaritans. And in the studio today with me, former Scotland captain Colin Hendry. And now, if I were you, I'd be very angry, A, at what happened to Denise, what happened to an ex-partner, what happens to your dad, how your life has suddenly swung in a different direction, and yet you seem to be holding that anger down. And I wonder whether the reason that you never saw a therapist was you were terrified of letting that anger out. I don't know, Gary. I get angry these days when I play a game of football on a Sunday, <laughs> and, and I seem to be able to kick people a lot harder. But... Um, were you an angry footballer? No, not really. As I've got older, I've got more like my father. He was one that would say a little. Well, I wouldn't say bottle up, but he would just keep within himself his thoughts. And I'm a, I'm a, I get to a stage sometimes now where I say very little on certain issues and certain things, especially within the family or my relationship or whatever, because I think if you say nothing... Nothing can be made of it. But as soon as you say something that could be taken in the wrong way, and with children especially, one might agree, one might disagree sort of thing. So sometimes it's better not to say anything. Um, and, but, they've got, of course, they've got their own lives. They've, they've grown up now, 29, 27, 21 and 19, and I think they've done it the right way. You see, just going back to what you were saying just before, you said, you know, you... The older you get, the more you remind yourself of, of your dad. And yet you are on this radio show, which is all about... Resilience. I couldn't have seen my dad being on here. Exactly. My dad, my dad would never ever do it, but that's <laughs> only because of the, the, the life I've had, Gary. Mm. So when you're in a public spotlight, and at Blackburn at one point, I got called housewife's choice. Why? Denise loved it. Because they used to say, when I was out publicly... Give Colin the mic, he'll speak to everybody. So some players give him the mic, I don't want to say, I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking, I'm not speaking. And it's just like how you see present-day footballers now walking into the grounds with their headphones on. They don't want to talk to anybody. They don't want to be asked a question about this or asked a question about that. But I had to put a bit of a face on for the, for the football club or for the football team. Let's get back to your relationship with money. Dad, as we've already said, had a quite a modest upbringing. Yep. You go bankrupt at one stage in... in, in 2010, your, in your, yeah. Um, what was that like, bearing in mind where you've come from, the riches that you'd managed to, to accrue, and then having to go bankrupt? What did that do to you, Con? When it happened, it was too late. God, if I'm being honest, I didn't think about where I'd came from and what I've got and what I've lost. I had to make sure that a year after Denise's death that the children were still looked after, still housed, etc., and that's what happened. You know, I, I, I was fortunate, within, fortunate enough within the bankruptcy laws. I had a good pension and that, that was untouched. I was quite fortunate in that respect. But it was all about the children. It wasn't so much worrying about where I'd come from, what I, what I might have been doing if I hadn't been a footballer, living back in Keith, having, having not had moved for example, say, it was just about the children, nothing else. So what's been your greatest achievement, all the things you've won in football or bringing up your family after Denise died? Well, from a professional point of view, it would be the football, but from a personal point of view, it's the family. I'm going to ask I've been you, very lucky in two respects. I'm going to ask you the question again. What's the greater achievement of the two, everything you've it's won in football? It's all about the family, Gary, it's all about the family. If I've, if I've helped in any way of having had the success that I've had in football, then it's gone. I think it's gone as a plus towards how I've helped the children. I can't imagine how the children have felt these last ten years. Because the thing but, I, I find the most admirable thing about you is how you've carried yourself in the last few years trying to be a dad to four children who lost their mum. That is just, to me, incredible. What you won as a player, well, other people win cups, medals, trophies, leagues. Yeah. But not many footballers, Colin, would have to do what you have done. Yeah, but you've got to do it, Gary. If it's thrown onto you, you've just got to go and attack it. You've got to... You can't... But many if, you, if, you want, if, you want to, if you want to sit back... Yeah, OK, I had a drink and I had a bet... But if you want to sit back and, and wait for a bit of pity to come your way, then you could wait forever. 
I'm not suggesting pity and I'm not suggesting self-pity. That's not why I pick up from you at all. Actually, the pride, the biggest pride that you have is A, being your father's son and B, your four kids. That yeah. comes out like, like lettering through Blackpool Rock. It is absolutely clear. No, I agree with you. But, I mean, if that's what you're getting off of me, then I'm quite happy with that. Extremely, so, extremely happy with that. So suppose we were to meet again in ten years' time. What would you like to have achieved in, in that period? Because presumably your, your footballing days might be behind well, you by then. Well, yeah, I'll be walking football by then. <laughs> be walking football by then, I think, Gary, which people, even over the age of 50, have been invited to, and I've said, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Um, as long as I can run, I'll be, I'll be a happy man, because then if I, if I can run, I can play football. And when you can't run anymore and you have to I don't know what's watch your grandkids like. grow up because you have yeah, grandchildren. Gra yeah, Avery, Avery and River, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, that's, the, that's the fun times. Are you a better... Very close. Just as we come to the end of our chat, you lose your dad and he's a massive, massive influence on your life. Who else, maybe professionally, people you've played with or been managers to you, have you really respected and thought... Actually, they're really good guys, and if I ever went back into football, I would perhaps copy what they have done. Well, you, you, if I'd been back, if I ha if I do go back into football, I'd lean on, on the ones that I'd speak about. I'd lean on them. But who are they? Craig Brown, Kenny Daglish, um, even Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce was the one that told me that my career was finished. You know, what was that like? Hard. He said, your body's finished. Your body can't keep up with your head. Was he right? Totally right. I was 37 at the time. And he said, listen, game's over. And as a manager has to do, and I'd, I'd fulfilled the purpose when I was at Bolton. We got promoted to the Premiership. We beat Preston at Cardiff. He was totally right. And I've seen him since, and we have a laugh. And, a, you know, Peter Reid, who, who sold me back to Blackburn in, in the early 90s, Reedy often said to me, "Biggest mistake, I've, biggest mistake I've said I've made is selling you back to uh, to Blackburn, because then Blackburn went on to kick on and City got relegated. But again, good guys, and they've all got it within their own managerial careers. Sometimes they make decisions they don't know if it's going to be right or if it's going to be wrong. I mean, Ray Harford was was a great coach, one of the best coaches I've possibly, probably the best coach I've had. Uh, played under Roy Hodgson as well as." Um, all different types, though. <clears throat> so, Colin, what happens to the quiet guy when you have to captain Scotland in a big international? You know, the big Braveheart, your nickname is Braveheart. What, what happens to the quiet guy then? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he comes out of his shell. Um, but what he would, he would do is organise, really. Um, not, a lot, not, a lot of, not, not a lot of screaming and shouting. He's not that type of captain, you know... From the position I was in at the team, it was better to orchestrate from that position I've always felt because everyone's in front of me. As soon as the ball's over my head, then it's either going out of play, going through to the goalkeeper, and hopefully not to any of the opposition. So that was the three things that, when, it, when the ball went behind me, when the ball's in front of me, then I could dictate and and and, and orchestrate, but in a quite quite a calm calm level, not not in a level of shouting and screaming and. Maybe the Braveheart thing coming through, your freedom and all that. That 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 wasn't there. That wasn't there. It is maybe a bit now, Tony, isn't it? I think <laughs> I think maybe it is now. Um do you recognise the Braveheart um comparison? Or is that well, more the, the media's the, the, invention? Yeah, it was the media, yeah. Because I think it that came out in ninety five, ninety four, ninety five, and mm. Euro ninety six and So I'm gonna ask you about probably the most famous goal that you've ever been associated with and yeah. one you didn't score. Yeah. Paul Gascoigne's chip over you when he scores at Euro 96 at Wembley. Why do you always get asked about that? And do you feel in any way culpable that you did something wrong in that? No, goal? it wasn't. No, I didn't. It was just a great piece of play. And I'll always get asked about it because what you've spoke about, Gary, throughout the, the programme is how obvious I am to people from a, a, a visual point of view. You know, and it's, as you said, it was a commentator's 
dream to to, to have somebody and so th- so I'm noticed by that. But my argument to, I've asked been asked that question many many times. My argument to that is is it's taken England's arguably England's greatest ever footballer to do it to me. <laughs> So I love that. That's fantastic. So and then, but I said arguably. So it's up to all you guys that are support England. It's up to you to, to to come to some. But it was is there a was there a better talent ever for England? Does it annoy you that you're associated with that goal? It get well in social media. It can get because I think people. Th- I've actually been asked a question at a dinner that said, "Do you actually lose sleep over that goal?" And. I've I've said, listen, after what I've achieved in my career, I don't lose sleep over anything in football. But, no, it's, uh, it was a great goal, and from the whole day, that whole day in Euro 96, my issue was with Yuri Geller. Because he, he said after the game, that on the front pages, that he'd moved the ball before Gary McAllister took the penalty kick that we missed. So it's Yuri Geller's fault, really. And he's not even British. <laughs> Final couple of questions. If you could ask Denise anything today, what would you ask her? Oh, what's it like in heaven? And if you could ask your dad one question today, what would that be? When you're having the next drink with Denise. (laughs) Colin Henry, many thanks for joining me on The Sporting Couch. Pleasure. Gary, thank you. When life is tough, Samaritans are there to listen. Call 24-7 on 116123 or visit samaritans.org. And if you want to listen to this show again or recommend it to someone else, please find it as a podcast. Google Acast on The Sporting Couch. I hope you've enjoyed today's programme. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist. And remember... There's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.